to Neat Retelling, Retelling the News, and our promotion of the Read for Maui Challenge continues. And now that we've had more than a week to prepare, we actually have a lot more options. And additionally, we did want to let you know that I had received further clarification on the guidelines of the challenge. They do want us to stick with indigenous peoples of Hawaii, but also of any Polynesian culture basically is open for this because one of the reasons being that, of course, the climate change that helped cause the wildfires is going to disproportionately affect Pacific Islanders, even though you could definitely argue they are a demographic that is among the least responsible for climate change, and in fact had been among the demographics loudest about raising the alarms for us to stop doing this shit. Anyone in, like, uh, Oceania or mm -hmm. in Pacific Islanders, so, like, Anywhere like Samoa, Palau, even like the people of Aotearoa. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Which does give us a whole lot to cover in terms of their various mythologies and legends. So I thought I'd let Shami go first this time. First on the list is Whale Rider. Now, those of you who are familiar with the film adaptation with Keisha Castle Hughes. She was actually the youngest nominee for Academy Award for Best Actress before Quaventon A. Wallace. So this is based on the 1987 novel by author Witi Ihi So this is set in the 1980s in a Maori community in New Zealand, oh, no, North that. Island, and it is a retelling of the myth of Paikia. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about the myth of Paikia? Paikia is a notable ancestor who originated in Hawaii, according to Maori tradition. So he is particularly known for origins of Gisborne District, and he was assisted by a whale to survive an attempt on his life by his half-brother. So he is known as the titular whale writer of the story. Okay, that's neat. So this book is a retelling of that, so that's very cool. So it's pretty much in this adaptation, like Paikia, it, the story centers around Kahu, who is the eldest great-grandchild of a chieftain who is despised by her chieftain grandfather because she was supposed to have been a boy. But she ended up being born assigned female at birth, we should say, probably. And her twin brother had been stillborn at birth. Her mother had died in birth with her, with them mm. as well. And the reason why her grandfather despises her is because had she had been a boy, she would have been the future leader of the tribe. And her grandfather is just blinded by Maori chauvinism and traditional culture. Mm -hmm. But Kahu, actually, very attuned to like the traditional Maori way of life. Mm -hmm. And it's hinted that she also inherited the ability to speak to whales. Oh, okay. Next one on the list is Weaving Earth and Sky, Myth and Legends of Aotearoa by Robert Sullivan. And fun fact about Robert Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Okay. He is an internationally published Maori poet with seven additional poetry released. It ex his works explore the dimensions of urban experience, including language and social foods. Oh, he's actually a qualified librarian. He currently works at Auckland University Library, so shout out to fellow librarians. Absolutely, we love librarians in this house. Covers a few a few myths in this anthology here. So this covers creation voyages, Taine and Hine Tainata, the stories of Maui, who adventures of Tawak. I really hope I'm pronouncing all of these correctly. 
and the adventures of Rata Kukwe's voyage. Basically, this is an anthology that starts with okay, the story of creation, as told according to Maori folktale, retells Maui stories, the tale of Tawakian finishes with um, the story of Kupe's voyages to Aotearoa. And fun fact, winner of New Zealand's Post Children's Books Award in 2003. Impressive. Okay, next on the list is Legends of Aotearoa by Chris Munitana. According to this, this was published in 2001. And... This is a collection of 14 Maori stories that have their origins in Aotearoa. These stories come from different tribes and regions of the country, accompanied by a large number of hunting landscapes as taken by photographer Andy Riesinger. Among these stories are the Maui legend, Kuku, the Arawa Canoe, the Walking Mountains, and the waters of Waikea Moana, the fires of the earth, Rona and the Moon, which I am very familiar with because it was part of a picture book I had in third grade, <laughs> okay. the Flight of the Greenstone People, and the story of Wakatipu. Right, so, very nice. This covers stories that are both familiar and less well-known, so I feel like this could be a great resource for introducing Maori folklore to a wider Western audience. I do love that this was kind of an opportunity for us to kind of talk about the kinds of stories that we might not talk about as much on this podcast because we're just not as familiar with them because we're just not from these cultures, but it's good to highlight non-Western folklore hot take. <laughs> yes. And next on the list is The Land of the Long White Cloud, Maori Myth, Light Tales, and Legends. This is a collection of traditional stories from Aotearoa, as told by Maori opera singer Kiri Te Kanawa. Yeah, so she's an opera singer. That's so cool. Yeah, Dame Kiri Jeanette Claire De Kanawa. That's what she's saying. She has a full lyrical soprano voice. It's a discography including three albums that are featured in top 40 charts in Australia in the mid-1980s. And she's received accolades in many countries, performing works composed in the 17th and 20th centuries, and singing in, in several different languages. She's a talented lady, clearly, and then she decided to basically retell some of her cultural stories that is very cool exactly would love that kind of resume i gotta say (laughs) yes here we got a graphic novel it's hayaka and panoea the cute little graphic novel you showed me like this is some very pretty art Yes. For one thing. And not only is it a retelling of a folktale, the whole goal of our main character is to try to protect the forests of Hawaii. So it's it's very relevant to the fact that this natural disaster was caused by climate change. And it's gotten us talking about how we can try to prevent these kinds of disasters in the future if it's not too late. And this is by Gabrielle Ahumi. And she's fighting an evil lizard who... On the cover, looks properly sinister. I do, I yes. do love his whole design here. We also have a, like a, a full database of Aotearoa books, the website Myths and Legends. Um, we'll include a link to this um, below. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not all of them will be written by people of Indigenous descent, but they are still all worth checking out, even if they don't necessarily qualify for the challenge. Exactly. And then last but not least, this one is very interesting. So this is literally called the Maori Merchant of Venice. So in Maori, I believe it's pronounced Te Tangara Wai Lawa O Weniti. According to the history of this, it was pretty much the play, the 
the classic Shakespeare play Merchant of Venice. Right. It was it was translated into Maori in nineteen forty five by very political leader, writer, genealogist, historian. His resume is quite extensive. Hurinui Jones. Mm-hmm. And this was actually the first Maori language um, adaptation of any of um, Shakespeare plays. It was actually adapted into a film in 2002. And from what I see, it does not appear to be struck work because it's produced by Heitao Naga Films. Okay. Interesting. So, so yeah. have you got any idea of if they just kept pretty much everything the same, they just happened to translate it into the Maori language? or? Oh, no. It was shot in Auckland, but recreated in wait, 16th century Venice with costumes and surroundings fitting to this. But they also included some, a lot of... So they pretty much did a Maori take of, of the Pound of Flesh drama. So it's a story that's supposed to be deeply seated social and religious prejudice. And supposed to parallel how Shylock is oppressed because of his Judaism and mm-hmm. it's paralleling the violent subjugation of Mary people by colonial authorities in mm-hmm. New Zealand. That does make sense because really I think culture at large has decided The Merchant of Venice is definitely not a comedy. It is absolutely a, tra- a tragedy. tragedy and yeah the entire play there's so much to unpack and how everything is portrayed. So I do definitely get why people who may not be Jewish but are from oppressed groups might find that they kind of want to reclaim the story as well. So this is kind of fascinating. And it kind of reminds me, like, you know Taka Waikiki? He is both Maori and Jewish. I feel like he would be perfect to, like, produce this sort of thing. I'd be very fascinated to see his take on it if he were interested in that. Because obviously we know that he can do more than just comedy, but so much of his identity in the public eye is that he does these kind of quirky comedies. But it would be interesting to see, if he were interested in that sort of thing, his take on that particular piece. Yes. And actually, this is not the only um, Shakespearean play to be adapted to Maori themes, but this mm-hmm. is actually the first, the only one to have been released as a feature film. There have also right. been adaptations of Othello using Maori cast, usually set, set during the Musket Wars or the New Zealand Wars in the 19th century, and this was back in 2001, I believe. I feel like this would be a great medium to use Shakespeare plays to sort of introduce Maori history and legends to, like, the wider public. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that Shakespeare does endure is the fact that you can really do so many things with it as long as you're willing to be flexible. Yes. Like, there's so much you can read into it, so much you can twist to suit your needs. Okay, so since we had brought up the Hayaka Panaway graphic novel, when I kind of looked further onto the website you showed me, it's nativebookshawaii.org. They have a whole myths and folklore section, and I absolutely dove into it, because much like the database that you had found, not all of them are written by Native Hawaiians, but there are quite a few that... Yeah, yeah. But there are quite a few that are, including one we're going to definitely... Spend some time talking about it at the end because we have a lot to say about it. <laughs> but there's the 
Kamulipo, a Hawaiian creation myth. I couldn't quite find out who had written it originally, but it is as translated by Queen Lilil Kalani herself. Yes. So that's really impressive. I will make it clear, I am not sure how available some of these items are, but if you're able to find them, these would make excellent additions to your Read from Maui challenge. There's the Kapoi Mo Akua. Again, we really are trying our best to pronounce these correctly. Um, this is by Marie Alohalani Brown. And it subtitles Hawaiian Reptilian Water Deities. I would definitely want to look into that because especially the description was pretty fascinating. So revered and reviled, reptiles have slithered, glided, and crawled and climbed their way through the human imagination into prominent places in many cultures and belief systems around the world. So the book explores the fearsome and fascinating creatures known as Mo that embody the life-giving and death-dealing properties of water. And they're not ocean dwellers. They live primarily in or near bodies of fresh water. And, you know, there's just many different variations on them. They're usually female and usually just there's a detailed dialogue of 288 individuals of these so that that is such a rich storytelling tradition i would absolutely love to dive into that if i can find it because that sounds like exactly my bag and there's just so many options there's actually a comic company as it turns out that focuses on taking hawaiian myths and legends and basically writing superhero stories the company is called mana legends it was founded by christopher caravallo i looked at some of these the art is really cool however i unfortunately did have some trouble finding them anywhere but the website but if you are willing to and you're you like a good superhero story but are tired of just doing like the marvel and dc thing might be something to look into and there's so much more if you go to nativebookshawaii.org and like I said I'm not 100% sure how, how available these items are but it's definitely worth looking into and now to kind of go off of the Hawaiian and Polynesian authors list that was provided by the people running the challenge so this one Tales of Tukongs by Apele Hoafa I debated whether or not I wanted to include this because technically it's not a retelling of anything but it is described as kind of emulating the oral tradition of natives of the South Pacific. So I think that kind of falls into it because it's a storytelling tradition that's being passed on into more modern stories. And the book's basically dealing with, you know, how the natives are dealing with imperialism's effects, basically, in a kind of humorous tongue-in-cheek sort of way, from what I've read. And there's also Matalulu, Stories from Samoa for Children by Lani Went Young, who actually pops up a lot on this list of Hawaiian and Polynesian authors because she has written a lot and she's also done another item that kind of qualifies for what we're talking about. Matalulu, it aimed for children, recommended for ages 8 to 12 and for the child in all of us because there is no shame in reading children's books, my dear listeners. And you know, you could still learn a lot from them even as an adult because I know for a fact there's not a whole lot of Samoan legends and mythology that I know about and seems like it has some really beautiful illustrations and I've heard good things about this author so this could be a nice little introduction for the young ones in your life or even yourself. And from the same author... We got Telesa the Covenant Keeper, and this is the first in a series, and it is YA fantasy, and it stars a girl named Layla Fol 
teenager who's trying to reconnect with her Samoan heritage. Basically, when she was young, her father fled the island with her and she doesn't even know who her mother is. And she kind of comes to realize she is more involved with the mythological figures of Pacific mythology than she ever realized. So if you love a girl finding out that she has power story, this might be it for you. (laughs) And finally, we're going to talk about... Kape Mahu, because it is also on the list. And I'll be honest, I am very late into actually properly starting the challenge. Up until last night, I had not read one single book because I was just going through a terrible reading slump. So I looked at this gorgeous little picture book and I was like, you know what? Gotta get my foot in the door this way. I'm just gonna try to read through it. And my mind was blown. And it was even more blown when we found the short film that the book is based on. Fun fact, this was actually shortlisted for an Academy Award for Best Animated Short. It sure was. And rightfully so. The art is gorgeous. It is absolutely stunning. Whether in book or film form. Yeah, it's just... There's a certain flow about it that is just Mm -hmm. magical yeah absolutely and it is a magical story and we should probably go into what the story is actually about so um for those of you who don't know mahu is basically the term for a third gender among indigenous hawaiians and tahitians basically think of it as a counterpart to fa'agine in samoan culture also similar to like hydras in like south asian Mm -hmm. cultures Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's fair basically this is the story of I believe it was four Mahu people from Tahiti. Yes. And they just kind of come to Hawaii and basically just start offering their healing powers to the people there. And basically they kind of brought these stones to kind of stage as monuments to them to kind of thank them for all they've done for them. And it goes on to kind of tell the story of how how the monuments were erased, how the history of them were erased. Uh, which, which is unfortunate in a lot of indigenous culture as well. A sad reality. Yes. A lot, a lot of indigenous cultures were actually a, very open to to the concept that there's not just a man and woman, there's more genders than that. And unfortunately, colonization, colonization ruins everything. As per usual. Like, it's just bad for everybody involved, except for the people who are exploiting the peoples that they are conquering. <laughs> what a surprise. These are real stones, and there is a real story ar- around it. Obviously, as it is a le- legend, it's hard to say how much was real, how much was not. But at the end of the day, this is a culturally significant monument, and they built a freaking bowling alley over it. What? Yeah, no, it's mentioned in the story. They built a bowling alley over it. It was only in the 60s that they finally revealed them again. And still, they tried to erase the fact that these were people who didn't identify as men or women. So, more, even more indigenous queer erasure. Exactly. We hate seeing it. And there is actually a website dedicated to not just the film and the book, but just kind of offering more resources to learn even more about the cultural context of it. You have more clips from the writer and the... um, She also did the audio... Yeah, the narrator. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word. Because she did the audiobook as well, which I also do recommend the audiobook because it has some really good soundscapes. Yep. 
Yep, that's it. And, that's her. and fun fact, she did the film narration entirely in Olehu Ni Hao. So this is the only mm-hmm. unbroken form of the Hawaiian language, according yep. to the information I'm seeing here. Exactly. And even in the picture book, you see it is a bilingual picture book. So you've got English at the bottom and the Hawaiian language on top. And in the film, actually, it's entirely in the Hawaiian language with subtitles. And it's a PBS film, which means not stark work. Whee! Just, mm, it is so such a beautiful piece of art that is telling a very important cultural story. So I absolutely recommend you seek this out however you see fit. If you want to read it in the book or listen to the audiobook or watch the film, honestly, do all three because this is such a lovely story that I kind of want to live in to a weird extent. Like, it's a rich visual experience and I think that experiencing all three three forms. I think mm-hmm. it's the best way to like dive into this story. I have to agree. I literally just recommended it to my mother downstairs. I've sent her the link. It's just and the film is 8 minutes. It's so so easy to get through and you will feel enriched in those 8 minutes. I really feel like. And we'll also include a link to the website which also has it has like all sorts of interviews like with the author herself and all these interviews and all these these um, little sound bites into the thought process that went into the story, I feel like will build a richer experience when you see all of this. Absolutely. And just kind of give you an idea of the cultural context of the story, because like I said, there is quite a lot for how short it is. And I am really glad that this book and the film exists to kind of help keep this story alive because she even mentioned herself in her author's note how important that is to her because you know she is mahu herself so yes and this is a story of people like her and it's so important to her to her culture so again colonization ruins everything it's just trying to erase something so important oh and i did find something fun um yes yeah, Wang Kalu. She was also one of the curators for an exhibit of the Waikiki's Healer Stones of the Kapema. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, I did see that. So, you know, she's very invested in this monument. If you, like me, are having trouble kind of getting into the Read from Maui Challenge, this is an excellent way to kind of get you excited about it again if you're going through a reading slump like I've been. <laughs> it's a short, sweet read, but it's all the more fascinating because it's just a gateway into these sorts of stories that normally we wouldn't even hear of. Absolutely, because they are so suppressed, and even when they're not being suppressed, they aren't really prioritized in Western culture. So, yeah... The Read from Maui Challenge is still going strong. We have until the 28th, which is next Monday. So you still have a little over a week. Hopefully we're going to be able to do some good for for an island that is still very much suffering. They are still trying to find the people who are missing. So hopefully we can make something of a difference. So I'm already working on a bunch of stories. Again, basically for every book I read, I'm going to have set aside $5. And at the end, I'll be splitting the donations between the Maui Mutual Aid Fund and the Lahaina Cultural Center. Any final thoughts? We also recommend that if you end up loving Kape Mahu, then we, we also encourage you to see, well, she's also known as Kumu Hina, so I'll refer to her as that. We encourage you to like check out her other filmography, like Latis is in waiting, and she was also featured in a documentary called Kumu Hina. She's done documentaries about, you know, Mahu, people like her, so 
definitely check them out. If this is what she does in just eight minutes, imagine what she could do with the feature film. All right. Thank you very much, Shami. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you very much for listening. Please consider joining the Read from Maui Challenge. If you can't donate or participate, spreading the word about it can still make a difference. As for this podcast, please subscribe to the podcast platform of your choice. Please leave a review. Please tell your friends about us if they are also fans of storytelling and story retelling. And you can find me, as always, at Faber Vieira on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok. And this podcast also has a Twitter account while Twitter is still a thing. I know the days are numbered. (laughs) At IER Podcasts. And next week, we'll be covering various international versions of the Cinderella story. Hope to see you there. And remember, stories gain power in each retelling. And this was us, retelling the news.